and welcome to the History on the Side podcast, the podcast that takes a look at the things that happen just beyond the pages of your history book, at the people, places, and ideas that may have been mentioned in passing, but play a much larger role in the story. I'm Josh Burns, and welcome to episode 21, No Land Beyond the Volga, part 3. In this episode, we are back in the boots of Vasily Zaitsev and hearing things from his first-person perspective. Like last time, I'm not going to go into all of the gory details that might come up, but I wanted you to know up front that those kinds of things are going to be mentioned. Also, because of the way Zaitsev's biography is written, it can be a little difficult to know the exact timelines of when certain things happened. I'll give exact dates when Zaitsev gives them, but other than that, we will rely on Vasily's narrative to place events. Also, there's a few Russian names in here, and I don't speak Russian, so I'll try to pronounce those as best as I can. So with all that said, let's get to it. Not long after Vasily Zaitsev was initiated into the ways of the sniper, his unit was tasked with retaking Mamayev Hill, a strategic hill, or Kurgan, which offered whoever possessed it control of the city. German defenses on the hill were based on what Zaitsev calls light machine guns, possibly similar to the British Bryn light machine guns. The guns were easily moved, accurate at long range, and could put lots of bullets into the air very, very quickly. The German gunners were also able to coordinate their movements and fire with radios, meaning they could quickly put mass fire in any area where there was suspected Russian movement. Says Zaitsev, quote, These Fritz mobile machine gunners were more of a threat to us than any pillboxes or fortified emplacements, because they could appear and disappear in a flash. We never knew where they would come from next, end quote. In spite of the danger of attacking German-held Mamayev Hill, it was vitally and strategically important to do so, and newly minted sniper Vasily Zaitsev was ordered to hunt down and kill the German light machine gunners. To do so by himself would be impossible. He would need to start a sniper school. His first sniper student was a man named Mikhail Obozhenko. Mikhail had been a sapper or combat engineer before being wounded by a German shell fire. The two climbed up to a concealed spot in one of Zaitsev's hiding places with a view toward Mamayev Hill. The hill itself had been hammered by Soviet artillery a few hours before, and smoke still concealed much of the hillside that Vasily and Mikhail were looking at. Mikhail was on the sniper rifle, while Zaitsev watched on with a pair of binoculars. Zaitsev showed Mikhail how to adjust the rifle's telescopic sights to account for the distance roughly 400 meters or 437 yards away. It wasn't long before Mikhail spotted some Germans moving along the hill, apparently trying to dig new trenches along one of the embankments. Time for the lesson. Zaitsev tells us that the following conversation happened with his new student. Quote, Aim at your target's chest, but don't shoot yet, I said to Mikhail. Wait until he turns to face you. All right, chief, he said, but why's that? Think of this like a game of billiards, I explained. You're always trying to set up your next shot. If you shoot him now while he's turned away from you, both he and his shovel fall into the ditch. But if you wait and get him when he's facing towards you, his shovel stays up on the near side of the embankment. That way, when the next guy grabs the shovel, you can get him too. End quote. Almost as soon as Zaitsev finished talking, Mikhail pulled the trigger. Zaitsev watched as Mikhail's target sank into the trench, and seconds later watched another soldier try to retrieve the shovel just as Zaitsev had predicted. 
Mikhail fired again and the second German fell. Excited for Mikhail's success, the two had had to beat a hasty retreat as German machine guns started peppering their position with high-velocity bullets. The lesson had been a success, however, and it wasn't long before more students were added to Zaitsev's deadly school. On October 24, 1942, just over a month since Zaitsev entered the city, he and six members of his sniper school were sent to Russian units on the eastern side of Mamiev Hill. Barely 164 yards away, on the hill, lay the German front lines. The situation here was so bad that the Russian soldiers defending the area were crawling back and forth along the defenses and firing their weapons, hoping to trick the Germans into believing that there were more soldiers than there actually were. The soldiers were forced to crawl over their dead comrades in order to pull off this illusion. This particular defensive spot also happened to be near a small freshwater spring. According to the surviving corporal in charge of the area, the water was incredibly tempting for the German soldiers who would bring canteens and jerry cans to the spring each morning. Unfortunately for them, Russian grenades lobbed from hidden positions in the trenches prevented them from getting easy access to the precious liquid. For three days, the Russians simply tossed grenades down at any German desperate enough to try to get water. It was exhausting work, though, to deny the water to the German soldiers, as the Russians had to stay awake as much as possible, sitting in the mud, congealed blood, and swarms of lice in the trenches. Guns clenched tightly in their hands, Zaitsev and the Russians held their position so close to the Nazi lines that they could listen in to their enemies' conversations. Unfortunately, none of the Soviets could speak German. On the fourth morning, desperate for water, the Germans sent groups of soldiers down toward the spring, possibly hoping that at least one of them would be able to gather some water. Zaitsev tells us, quote, Even with their bodies pressed close to the ground, the descending Germans had no cover. They were approaching us on a downward slope, so the entire length of their bodies was exposed. We didn't even need our telescopic sights. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. The element of surprise, if that was what they were after was lost. This was their final attempt on us." End quote. While it was the last attempt by the Germans to reach the spring, the Nazis weren't just going to let the Russians have it either, as they were able to set up strings of mines to deny the Russians access. After the fifth or sixth day of no water, the Russians were getting desperate. Fortunately, one of the Russian soldiers, a guy named Kostikrov, had an idea. Zaitsev recalls, quote, Then a spark of inspiration flared up in Kostikrov's eyes. He flopped down on the ground, wiggled his legs like a happy dog, tossed his head back, and cried out, Boys, we've got water! Then he was silent, smiling to himself contentedly. We looked around him, but none of us saw anything. It appeared that the prolonged hardship had caused Krostikov to become unhinged. End quote. Zaitsev continues, quote, Where's the water, you ask? Out there. You know how many dead Germans are lying around? So what, said the now irritated Gryazev. They've all got water in their canteens, Krostikov laughed like a madman. We just have to round them up. End quote. Quickly, two of the men hurried out in the battlefield while the other snipers ascended to their hiding spots to provide cover for this desperate attempt to quench their parched throats. Zaitsev neutralized a machine gunner and was in the process of changing position when the men returned with five canteens containing some kind of rusty, bitter liquid. Normally, the men wouldn't have touched this nasty stuff, but after days without water, they eagerly drank it down.
A couple of days later, Zaitsev and his sniper buddies were reinforced and allowed to finally get some clean clothes, food, and most importantly, sleep. Unfortunately, one of Zaitsev's friends, Griazev, had been hit and killed by a German sniper the day before. That sniper would have to wait, though, as the exhausted men stumbled into bunkers to lay down. Following a 24-hour off-duty period, Zaitsev sat with a friend over a hot meal, possibly the first one the sniper had eaten in days. While talking with his friend, Zaitsev asked about the sounds of machine gun fire that were close by. His friend explained that Zaitsev was hearing a German machine gunner opening fire on Russian wounded as they were being transferred to a medical post in a nearby ravine. Zaitsev says, quote, I was enraged. He's hunting our wounded, is he? I was angry with myself for not having eliminated this criminal earlier. I decided there and then to find him and put a halt to his activities. The fighting started up again at dawn. I changed my position amid the smoke and the noise. This enemy gunner had been granted a day's reprieve to keep working his malicious deeds because our snipers in the sector had all been granted 24-hour leave. So now he had the mistaken impression that he could operate with impunity, and he was getting careless. He should never have kept using tracers. They led me straight back to him. I found the scavenger and put him in my crosshairs. His gun fell silent. End quote. Next on Zaitsev's list was the enemy sniper who had killed his friend, Griazev. But how to find him or any of the other enemy sharpshooters? Up until this point, we have focused almost entirely on the Russian snipers, but it is important to remember that Germany had their own snipers as well. Like Zaitsev, they were incredibly cautious, but could also be incredibly deadly. One of the difficulties in finding enemy snipers was the philosophy of how they set up their firing spots. According to Zaitsev, quote, As a rule, Nazi snipers would take up positions deep within their own line of defense, whereas ours would crawl up to the very edge of our front lines. The Fritzes also set up many decoy positions, making it even tougher to pick out your real target. After I had a little experience, I learned that two things were essential, keen observation and a good dose of restraint. Let's say you spot what appears to be the reflection of a lighter in the sun, and you presume it's a sniper lighting a cigarette. Maybe yes, maybe no. Mark the spot and wait. A stream of smoke should appear. End quote. To find Griazev's killer, Zaitsev would have to be patient. In every sense of the word, he would have to hunt the man like he had hunted the animals in his youth in the Ural Mountains. He got to work. Zaitsev and two others lay silently in one of his hidden sniper nests for hours, combing the German lines for any sign of their prey. Shells from German Nebelwerfer rocket launchers exploded around and behind them, but the men kept silently searching. The sun began to set, and Zaitsev absently counted some artillery shell casings that lay across the divide. He says, quote, A bit further down the hill, some spent German artillery shell cases lay scattered. I had nothing to do, so I counted them. There were 23. Then I did a double take. One was missing a bottom. Through a shell case like that, just like through a telescope, someone could see a long way into the distance. I raised myself up a little. Suddenly, there in the casing, it was like a flint struck a spark. An explosive bullet ripped into the embankment behind me. End quote. Zaitsev had made what should have been a fatal mistake. He revealed himself to the enemy sharpshooter, and it was by sheer luck that he had not been killed. 
In this deadly game of small details and no second chances, Zaitsev had been given a second chance. The three men retreated so they could try again. Shortly after one in the morning, Zaitsev and company were back out on the hunt again opposite the 23's spent artillery cases. Zaitsev trained his scope on the case that the German had been in before and within seconds caught sight of the enemy rifle scope. Anger and anticipation surged as the opportunity for vengeance was at hand. Zaitsev held his fire. He and his buddies needed to make sure that it was the real sniper and not a decoy. One of Zaitsev's friends grabbed a helmet and placed it on a stick. Being careful to stay hidden, he raised the helmet up a few inches. The sound of a rifle shot rang out in the morning air, and the bullet ripped through the decoy helmet. Zaitsev continued to hold his fire. Zaitsev continued to hold his fire and watched through the scope as the German reached forward to collect his spent cartridge case. Quote, I watched as the German sniper placed one hand on the breech and reached forward to pick up the empty cartridge case. Collecting spent cartridge cases was standard operating procedure after making a victorious shot. As he did so, he raised his head slightly from the scope. It gave me the few inches of scalp I needed to zero in on. And at that second, my own shot rang out. End quote. Zaitsev had won the sniper's duel and his friend Griazev had been avenged. Life continued on for the men fighting to defend Stalingrad. Zaitsev and his sniper students continued to gain experience taking out the enemy with precision, working as a team to support each other and stay alive. The shared misery of life in a combat zone, with its hunger, thirst, lice, and filth, brought the men together. They were, in a sense, all each other had. Reading Zaitsev's account also allows you to get a glimpse of something that is a bit interesting. Zaitsev recalls a moment when a visiting general had asked his unit how they could ever look their fellow countrymen in the eyes if they even thought of retreating. Zaitsev states, quote, I felt the general was directing his question to me. He knew that I had been born in the Urals and knew that my family, grandfather, father, and mother, as well as many of my comrades, were there now. No, there was no way I could face them, my eyes filled with shame and disgrace, if we were to give up Stalingrad. I answered the general, We have nowhere to retreat. For us, there is no land beyond the Volga. End quote. This commitment to staying firm in the battle certainly sounds very patriotic and gave me the idea of the series title, but it highlights the level of loyalty to the Soviet system that, in certain parts of the book, look a bit overly enthusiastic or fanatical, almost as if Zaitsev was trying really hard to impress someone that he knew would be reading his words. Now this is all conjecture on my part, but I'll show you what I mean. Let's go back to the death of Zaitsev's friend, Griazev, for just a moment, since I skipped over it earlier to talk about it now. The short version is that Griazev got hit by an explosive bullet that dropped him to the ground. He was dying, certainly, but he held on just long enough for Zaitsev to reach him, apparently in a position that also kept Zaitsev safe from the sniper. Zaitsev says, quote, I ran over to him. Sasha knew he was dying. His eyes were already glazing over. He appeared resigned to meeting his fate. Sasha calmly pulled out his Komsomol card and said, Take this, Vasya. You were right. It was a trap. Tell my comrades I died a communist. End quote. Now, your mileage may vary, but that seems a little too much like a movie to me. 
This feels like pro-Soviet propaganda written by a Soviet hero for a Soviet audience to marvel at his Sovietness. But I suppose it, that if that was all you had to hold on to in the fighting, then that would be what made it onto the page decades later. By the way, the Komsomol card is the communist ID card. Anyway, back to the battle. Sometime after this first sniper duel, Zaitsev and his friends were still stationed near Mamayev Hill and had used their time wisely, creating multiple hiding places in the rubble that they could use to keep the Germans guessing as to where the next shot would come from. As the days wore on, Soviet intelligence had managed to find a number of German pillboxes, bunkers, and hiding places on Mamayev Hill and keep tabs on what was happening in them. The problem was that these strong points were heavily guarded, and to attack them head-on would be too risky. So the Soviets waited and watched, hoping for a distraction or a way in so they could break those areas open. An opportunity came one rainy night. Two snipers, Kostrakov and Vasilchenko, had been watching a particular bunker for several days and had figured out where the bunker approaches were and where the sentries were stationed, and how often the sentries were changed. The two reported all of this information back to the section commander, Captain Askinov, and together the men came up with a plan of attack. Four men would go try to take the bunker in the middle of the night. Zaitsev would go with them. Armed only with submachine guns, grenades, and knives, the four men made their way cautiously out into the dark, heading toward the German bunker. The rain fell in sheets, masking their approach. A knife to the heart quietly took out the lone German sentry guarding the entrance. Zaitsev and another man named Kriakov descended into the bunker while the other two commandos stayed up top as lookouts. Slowly and quietly, Zaitsev and Kriakov opened the door to the main part of the bunker and were greeted with the snores of sleeping German troops. Helmets and submachine guns were propped up on the wall close by the door, and the two Russians grabbed a submachine gun each as souvenirs. A small electric lamp gave off a soft light. It was almost peaceful. Zaitsev tells us what happens next, and it's exactly what you think, so you may want to skip this part if you don't like this kind of thing. Quote, Meanwhile, the Germans kept snoring. Stepan Kriakov gave a loud and firm command, for the murders of our mothers and children at the hands of these fascist swine, fire. Our submachine guns spat out streams of hot lead. The Nazis were rudely jerked awake. They looked like marionettes being yanked on broken strings. They collapsed in their bunks, moaning and screaming until the arcs of flying lead raked over them again and shut them up. Their blankets were thrown in heaps in the confusion. Stepan Kriakov and I stood near one wall, moving about as necessary. We riddled the cots with bullets, going back and forth and up and down the room. The Nazis never had a chance to get out of their bed. They never had a chance to resist. End quote. Now, it is important to note here that four paragraphs after this story, Zaitsev says that telling his commanding officers about this was difficult for him and that something didn't sit right with him about what had just happened. Maybe he felt that fighting on a battlefield was one thing, but murdering sleeping men was something different. The commando raid did net one German prisoner, however. <clears throat> the commando raid did net one German prisoner, however. Zaitsev doesn't say what happened to him once they got back to the Russian lines. A month passed, and the fighting never let up. 
nor did the training for that matter. Zaitsev continued to teach students the art of sniping and put those lessons to work himself. He was becoming so successful and well-known among the troops that his commanding officers and other higher-ups began to take notice, and his fame was not just recognized on his own side of the lines. We now come to the most famous story concerning our friend Vasily Zaitsev, and that is a legendary sniper duel that he supposedly had with the head of the Berlin Sniper School, Major Connings. Now I say supposedly, because among historians, there is some debate as to whether or not this story is actually the result of Soviet wartime propaganda. There are no records that mention a German major named Konings being sent to Stalingrad, and no records of any German snipers sent to hunt down and specifically kill Zaitsev because of the chaos he was able to wreck on German plans. Nevertheless, the story appears in Zaitsev's biography, so we're going to include it here in this episode. Here we go. Zaitsev's story goes that one day the Soviets were able to capture a German soldier. The soldier was brought in with a sack over his head and, after being interrogated, said that a Major Konings, the head of the Wehrmacht Sniper School, had been sent to Stalingrad to eliminate the Russians' main rabbit sniper. Now, by main rabbit, the German could have meant simply the head sniper, or he could have meant our friend Vasily in particular, since the name Zaitsev means rabbit and the man, Zaitsev, was becoming famous for his shooting skills. In any case, Vasily Zaitsev, the man, was nervous. He had been fighting almost non-stop and fatigue was setting in. With that fatigue came some doubts. As Zaitsev recalls, quote, Also, I was calculating my odds and the probability of my continued survival. Every day, on average, I was killing four or five Germans. This had continued since my arrival in Stalingrad and every day I watched my fellow Russian soldiers being killed or wounded. As day after day passed without my being hit, I kept thinking this was like having a run of luck at cards. I knew it couldn't last forever. End quote. In spite of this fatigue, the hunt was on. Three days passed with no sign of this German super sniper. Zaitsev set up his dummies and sniper nests, talked with men on the ground, and checked with the other snipers in his unit to gather intelligence. Nothing to work with or that he could use, unfortunately. The only signs left behind were signs of skill and almost impossible shots, like a wounded sniper who had had his scope destroyed by a well-placed bullet. Finally, thanks to reports of injured snipers, Zaitsev narrowed down the area where he thought Connings might be and set up shop. And he waited. And he waited surveying the scene. To the left, a bombed-out tank. To the right, a pillbox. After verifying the Wehrmacht sniper wasn't in either of those spots, that left Zaitsev with only one other possibility, a sheet of iron next to a small pile of broken bricks. Maybe in there? Zaitsev had to check. He grabbed a glove, slid it over a board, and carefully raised the board up into the open for a split second, directly in line with the sheet of iron. A shot rang out, and the board came back down with a nice little hole in the middle of the glove. They finally had their prey. The next day, Zaitsev and his assistant Kulikov were back and they put their plan into action. They waited until the afternoon when they would be in the shade. They couldn't afford the possibility of sunlight giving away their position. Zaitsev got behind the scope again and surveyed the area. There, a small glint of light under the iron sheet. 
Zaitsev says, quote, Kulikov took off his helmet and slowly raised it, a feint only an experienced sniper can pull off credibly. The enemy fired. Kulikov raised himself up, cried out loudly, and collapsed. At last, the Soviet sniper, their main rabbit that I've hunted these four long days, is dead, the German probably thought to himself, and he stuck his head up behind the sheet of iron. I pulled the trigger, and the Nazi's head sunk. The scope of his rifle remained unmoving, still flashing in the light of the sun. End quote. The two men were able to get over to the spot and drag the iron sheet away. They grabbed the German's papers and his rifle, then escaped back to the Russian lines. Now, as I said, this account is disputed by historians. In his book, Voices of Stalingrad, author Jonathan Bastable says this of the famous sniper duel. Quote, and there is a deeper David and Goliath element of myth in the tale. The honest shepherd boy takes on the champion of a mighty enemy and beats him. What seems clear is that Zaitsev himself was told that a German hitman had been sent with the specific task of assassinating him, that he believed it, and that he was convinced he had killed that man. End quote. Zaitsev's time in Stalingrad and as a sniper would be ended by injury. A German rocket exploded close enough to him that shrapnel hit him in the face. The damage left him blind for weeks, lying in a hospital bed while his eyes and body recovered. While he was lying in the hospital, the Battle of Stalingrad finally came to an end. Vasily Zaitsev made a full recovery and was awarded the title Hero of the Soviet Union for his actions in defending Stalingrad. Vasily Zaitsev would continue to train snipers for the Soviet Union before ending the war at the Battle of Silo Heights on German soil. Following the war, he worked in factories making textiles. Vasily Zaitsev died on December 15, 1991, only 11 days before the Soviet Union dissolved. He was initially buried in Kiev in modern Ukraine, but in 2006 was reburied with full military honors at Mamayev Hill in Volgograd, the city formerly known as Stalingrad. And that is where we will end this series of the History on the Side podcast. Now please note that over these last three episodes, we have barely scratched the surface on all the things related to the Battle of Stalingrad in general, and Vasily Zaitsev in particular. If you want to check out a fictional Hollywood version of the famous sniper duel we mentioned earlier, check out the 2001 movie, Enemy at the Gates, to watch Jude Law take on Ed Harris. It's Hollywood for sure, but could be fun. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, cries of outrage, or declarations of independence, you can send them my way by emailing historyontheside at gmail.com, by going on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and searching History on the Side, or by checking out www.historyontheside.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.